This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a joy and privilege to be with God's people and among God's people hearing God's word. And um, I don't know how your week has been. Uh, it's uh, school holiday week. Those who are working feel that the train is, uh, is lighter, cleaner, uh, less noisy in the morning. For parents, they get a bit busier and flustering around. Um, perhaps you're oblivious of all that was happening, um, and that's probably good for you. Now, as we gather this morning, we will be looking right in Isaiah 60, and I think it would be great for us to ask God to help us to engage with His Word, whatever your week has been. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you who have seen the past, you who are here in the present, and you who knows the future, God, you know ours. You know where we have been, you know where we will head off, and God, you know that we need to hear your word regularly. So we pray, God, this morning that your spirit will help us to engage with your truth, help our minds to be able to understand, strengthen our will that we can respond. Please be with us, we pray. For your glory. Amen. If you have your bulletin, it would be great to keep it open. Uh, the outline is there. If you have a Bible, keep it open and it will be great for us. Now, it was just before dawn in the dark and cold Australian winter. Those who used to stay there would know the cries of my children were like sirens ringing through my prehistoric house. The, the, the cries of the children were piercing through the old brick walls. It's like a knife slicing through the wall of bean cut skin. It was loud, it was clear, it was sharp. But I did not want to wake up. I did not want to get up, especially when we were living in this prehistoric Australian house. Our little oil fin um, heater does not heat up the corner of our house, of my room, which is three times my height. That little fin does nothing. And I do not want to get up from the blanket or the comforter. I took the whole night to just warm up. And it was just getting warm. Now, perhaps you have similar experience in your life. Those guys back in your army days or reservists or students, young parents, worker. Perhaps you have to get up to go for an early trip to the airport. You do not want to get up. But the siren of your alarm clock just goes blasting through your ears, asking you to rise and shine, get up, brush your teeth, face the world. Well, everyone, welcome to Isaiah 60. If we can recall the background of this book, we'll remember that this book was not written in the warmest sunshine of Isaiah's, uh, of Israel's history. In fact, the previous chapter told us that God's people, they were experiencing a darkness caused by injustice and the sinful human condition. This is what they say in Isaiah 59, verse 9 and 10. I'll just read this for us. They cried out, we look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. You know, some of us may actually find this struggle 
familiar. The familiar spiritual despair where your heart is heavily burdened by sins. Whether sins that is inflicted on you or our own sinful condition. Or perhaps a sense of weariness, even hopelessness, where you find no relief wherever you look. Or perhaps overwhelmed by the news of injustice or the shocking reality of our human condition. No, this week our family's peaceful outing was disturbed unexpectedly when we were in this cafe enjoying our meal and breakfast and there's this statistic that flashed across the cafe screen that says there are 100 over 1,000 abortions a day. And then I took my phone to flip it and I regretted immediately because I went to check WHO and the global statistic estimated 56, 56 million abortions annually from 2010 to 2014. That goes the, the bright, shiny day we have, the, the cafe, the meals that we're enjoying, and the outing we're going to you know, go out and enjoy the sunshine. The gloom just comes in. In the words of Isaiah 59, we look for light, but all is darkness. You know, friends, when, when darkness grabs you, the very tempting thing is to stay under the blankets of despair, be spiritually or physically. There's a glimpse of what God's people were experiencing life was not a bed of roses. We know in history that ever since their exile to Babylon and their return to Jerusalem up to the day of Jesus' birth, God's people were living in ongoing tension. They never rose back to their glorious days. Those days where the world feared King David or envied King Solomon, those were days of past. It never came back. We heard last week that injustice was real and no one was powerful enough to bring about complete justice, not for the world, not for God's people. Yet despite what seemed like a bleak world of injustice and darkness, we come to Isaiah 60 and it comes out as a siren that is of a totally different tune, a tune of hope. As God's people lay low under their blanket to avoid rising in these dark, cold nights, the prophet gets up and cries out like a lamb with no snooze button. Look at Isaiah 60 verse 1 with me. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Know that the prophet's cry was loud and clear. Rise and shine. Our natural instinct when we hear the alarm clock will be to toss in our bed and try to find the mute button and snooze it up. Mumbling perhaps to the noisy prophet, why bother? But here's the reply. Rise and shine because God's glorious light has come. Because of God's light, God's people are to rise and shine. To shine, not like the sun, but like the moon and the stars that reflects God's glorious light that has appeared. 
That's what it means for God's people to arise and shine because the great light has come. God's people can reflect that light to the world that only knows darkness. Now, what the first readers cannot yet see with their physical eyes, the prophet saw clearly with his spiritual eyes. He sees that God has never, ever given up on his people. He sees God entering into our earth and shining into our darkened world. He sees that God has a light for this world that is darkened by his own condition. In fact, in verse 3, he sees a world where nations and kings will be awakened from their darkness and they will be drawn to God's light. Now what the first readers are called to look with faith forward, you and I are in a privileged place where we look back in amazement. For indeed God's light did enter our world and shone our darkness and we know how it turned out or it pans out in history. Because 2,000 years ago, King Herod and the people of Jerusalem, they were in their snoozy sleep on the warm blanket when it goes a big knock on the door of the palace and appears dignitaries called the Magi who appear from a distant land. They are looking for a new king because this king's birth causes disruption to their darkness, their dark world, their dark sky, um, suddenly came upon them this bright shining star that says a new king has dawned. And so they traveled in their dusty sandals and came to the city of David looking for a king. In fact, as they looked on, they moved to the town of David in Bethlehem and they found the boy Jesus and they worshipped him and lay before his feet their own treasures from a distant land. Arise and shine. Get up from your blanket of despair and slumber, O people of God, prophesied Isaiah. For God's glorious light has come. In fact, if you look at verse 1 to 3, you see how the thick spiritual darkness that covered the world in verse 2 is overwhelmed by God's glorious light. If you just imagine with me for a moment, if you flip your Bible to the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis 1, what you read is the world was covered with darkness, but it gets interrupted when God brings a greater light and comes in and the darkness gets dispersed. If you can get the picture of creation, then you get a picture of your New Testament in Matthew 1, Mark 1, Luke 1, John 1, where in the dark condition of humanity, God sends a great spiritual light that comes in to disperse the hopeless darkness that you and I experience. Because God brings in His own Son, the Creator Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, to dispel the human dark condition. Now, dear brothers and sisters, do, do you and I, and I think we do, do we struggle and feel at times that life gets a bit too dark and gloomy? At times that it is too difficult to persevere? Do we sometimes struggle to see that God does care and He has a good eternal plan for you, for me? Do we feel like just lying low in our spiritual slumber and just stay there? 
Well, the cry of the prophet rings as loudly today as it was for the first readers. In fact, louder for us. Because the light has come in our history and we can rise up with hope to face darkness and threats and persecutions and fears and even death that hovers over yours and my world. In fact, we were here just less than 24 hours ago seeing how darkness and death does invade into our human life. Now friends, what was prophesied by Isaiah to his first readers is a fulfillment already for us that God's light, Jesus, has come into the world to die for sin and to be raised according to scriptures for us. But now we may ask this question, but how do we rise and shine? How do we actually do it? Well, we do not shine by our own effort, like the moon and the stars. They don't. Rather, we shine by reflecting on the gospel light that comes as we drink deep in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to know who he is and the implication of what he has done, that we are able to shine a hope that darkness does not know and cannot produce. Now, that is a great reason to rise and to shine. But wait, that is only the very beginning of what Isaiah has to say to us. Now, his prophecy has much more to offer because he is an alarm with no snooze button. And he's calling God's people now to also lift up their eyes and look around. Because when we do, when we lift up our eyes and look, Isaiah is going to spray spiritual eye drops for us to see the glory of God. So would you look at verse 4 with me? Verse 4. Lift up your eyes. Look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will trope and swell with joy. The wealth on the sea will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. If you're the first readers, perhaps you were in the post-exilic time in 538 BC as an Israelite or Jew, you have tasted a little bit of this. You have tasted firsthand how God gathers dispersed children from, from Babylon or Persia and returns them to Jerusalem through his servant King Cyrus, a Persian king. And materials being brought in for them to build the temple of God, they will have tasted a little bit. But Isaiah has much more to say about that because he is not just thinking of that moment. He's drawing God's promises since the time of Abraham in Genesis 22 where God says, through your offspring I'll gather all nations, they will be blessed. In fact, Moses, when he gave the laws, he has always provided a way for foreigners to be brought into the fold of God's people. And here Isaiah has much more to say that God has sons and daughters that he is bringing in. Lift up your eyes and look, says Isaiah, because when God's light comes, verse 4 to 9, people and wealth and animals and offering of praise will be brought into the borderless kingdom of God. Now even ships of Tashish, back then referring to distant land, they will bring children from afar along with their treasures in order 
to honor God. Now, here's a reflection for you and me, because we are often like the first readers, the Israelites. We are often using our physical eyes to look at our physical world. We are drawn to the voices of doubts about God's goodness when the shadowy clouds comes. We often become discouraged spiritually. And when our spiritual eyes get a bit dull, we start to lose sight of God's glorious promises. And when that happens, we'll be tempted either to crawl under the blanket of spiritual despair or slumber, or else we will start wandering off to a world of vanity where we are sold all kinds of earthly goods that do not last. Like the first readers, our temptation is to mute the cry to rise up and to shine. But the prophet Isaiah has an antidote to fight spiritual downness. And his antidote is this. He says, lift up your eyes and look about you. If you do that, your hearts will trope and swell with joy. Now, dear friends, because Jesus, God's light, has come, what Isaiah prophesied ahead for his readers are now historical reality for us. The gathering has already been set in motion even as we are sitting here. Now lift up your eyes, cries Isaiah, and we will see how God is right at this moment, this moment, gathering sons and daughters from distant land into his own city. Now recently, um, Linda and I, we borrowed some missions DVD. It's from the series called Dispatches from the Front. Our church who have seen it many times uh, in uh, our church camp. Tim Casey, he's the narrator, and uh, as he journeyed with us, he, he brought us into the parts of the world that we seldom see, and our hearts were deeply moved as we watched the DVDs. Our hearts were called to trope with joy and longing as Tim Casey shared stories beyond yours and mine, physical boundaries and borders. No, Tim shared how the gospel of Jesus is reaching some of the darkest corners in our world, even as we speak. Sons, Daughters from different races and languages, they are being carried now into the kingdom of heaven. Now, while each human kingdom has its borders, God's kingdom has no borders. Now, God's kingdom has no borders, be it Asia or Cambodia, Vietnam, we're looking, Laos, Middle East, the land overshadowed by the fierce terrorism and violence of ISIS. The message of the empty tomb of Jesus is piercing and breaking into the darkest corners where despair and death reigns. Oh, how churches without borders are right now, as we're sitting here, being built more and more. A foundation upon which they stand that cannot be shaken by the most horrendous evil. Jesus says in Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If only we will lift up our eyes and look around us. In fact, there's more. If verse 9, as you look at it and look to God, 
We are called to see that our holy God, He is endowing His people with a shining splendor. A splendor that comes not from our hard work, rather it's a splendor of being gathered into the folds of His perfect kingdom, where the gates of hell cannot harm, and darkness, people in darkness sees and they want it. Dear friends, what are our spiritual eyes looking at right now? What are your spiritual eyes looking at right now? Well, here are some practical ways we can consider because often we will look and we may feel spiritually low or discouraged or sometimes we are not even looking because spiritually we are downright sleeping. But here are some practical ways to look up and look around. First of all, we we do not do it alone because when you're alone, you tend to look down. We do it as a church collectively, as God's people. If you find your eyes getting droopy, perhaps it's time to come along for Monday prayer meetings where you hear about the bigger kingdom of God and to pray about it. Perhaps you can join in or pray for the regular mission trips happening in church. There's one happening next week. You can pray for our brothers and sisters heading across the sea or our brothers and sisters who are living across the sea. Perhaps we can stop one of brother and sister after this service to just pray together so that we can look up if you're feeling droopy spiritually. Or perhaps borrow some missions DVD or follow the prayer of mission missionaries around just to read and know how God is progressing and moving forward. Perhaps we can also uh, have our personal or our family uh, routines to read, to give thanks, to pray for Christians around the world so that our spiritual eyes will be looking upwards and not downwards. Someone recommended to us recently a children's edition of Operation World that we found really helpful to read and pray for our children. As our children bring their inflatable globe and uh, you can imagine it always has a temptation to land on our dinner. As they bring their globe and we open up the operational world, the prayer book, they become spiritual eye drops, at least for us, to help us see the wider geography of God's kingdom and how, even as we were scolding our kids or trying to get life in order, God's kingdom, in, as mentioned Isaiah 60, is progressing faster than we can imagine. God's church is growing relentlessly for this last 2,000 years. You know, as we open it up during dinner time, it helpfully lifts our eyes upwards and acted as spiritual compass for our prayers. I wonder what are some of the practical things you can think of as well. Because there are many. You know, we can and we do grow weary spiritually as Christians in this journey. But God's glory and God's promises will lift us up if only we can see them. That's why Isaiah cries out for God's people, Arise and shine, because the gospel of Jesus, God's glorious light, is a history now for us. And Isaiah cries out, Lift up your spiritual eyes to see that God's kingdom, it is growing right at this moment. Now if that's not enough, Isaiah has more for us. He carries his readers one step further into our future to catch a glimpse 
of how God's glorious city will be restored and His enemies will be brought low. Look at verse 10 to 14 with me. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you in favor, I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations that kings led in triumphal procession. Now, if we've been following the book of Isaiah for this whole year, we know foreign nations, they're not good friends. Foreign nations have repeatedly opposed God and his people. We remember God's people were constantly behind the walls of their city. How King Hezekiah and his men, they were like caged birds behind the gates of Jerusalem. And how God's anger over Judah's sin ended with the walls of Jerusalem crumbling and being taken away the people. To Babylon. But the Lord's compassion, says Isaiah, will lift them all up. Foreigners, they will rebuild their walls. Verse 11, the gates of God's city will never be shut again. Never ending wealth will stream into their city to honor God and his people. And the foreign kings, they will be brought into God's city as captives. Verse 12, those who refuse to serve God, they will perish. Verse 13, Lebanon, the famous place for wood, will bring juniper, fire, cypress to decorate God's sanctuary. Now here's a picture of a glorious future we cannot fully visualize. But what Isaiah brings up is to let us know the table is turning. God's kingdom that was despised by the world will one day be gloriously restored. A day into the future, the oppression, the injustice, the humiliation, the frailty of God's people will be overturned. Now you and I, we know this kingdom has not fully come because we can see tyranny in this time, in our generation. We see injustice, we see brokenness. Well, not all of us will experience the extremes of injustice, but there are many brothers and sisters of ours who are right at this moment experiencing what Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians 11, that they are frequently in prison, flocked, severely exposed to death, whipped by death, inducing lashes, bitten by rods, pelted by stones, constantly on the move, danger from rivers and bandits from their own people, group from those outside, danger also from those inside, and in the countries, at the sea, from false believers. Believers have gone without sleep, without food, without, uh, in, in cold and nakedness. What Paul writes, our brothers and sisters, at this point, many still face them. Along with that, all the concerns of the churches. Now, as part of a universal church of God, we grieve that these are still happening. But we hope into the future that this will end. The day will come when the proud will be humbled, the people of God will be restored, God's glorious kingdom will be greater than before. Look at verse 14. It writes, All those who despise you, they will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now Isaiah is not a foolish prophet. He knew the reality of pain and suffering. He knew the reality that God's people do face darkness 
that hovers over us and over them. But he also knows God's glorious light when it arrives. God's glorious kingdom is not far away. King Jesus, the glorious light, is already a historical reality for you and me. And Isaiah says, so will be that glorious Zion. So let us shine, rise and shine. Let us look up to God and take heart and be encouraged as we let our spiritual eyes bring us into the future to see the glorious city. Now finally, if our eyes, if you and I are actually using our spiritual eyes to look at the glorious city, Isaiah has one last thing for us. He says, don't just look at the city, look into the city and you'll see the glorious God dwelling with God's people. And on that day, because he is there, darkness will not be there. Because he's there, darkness will no longer be in the hearts of his people. Now try to drink in this glorious picture in Isaiah for a moment because this is the exact picture that Apostle, Apostle John in his old age pens down the last pages of this Bible. What Isaiah sees, John sees as well. So let's look at this starting from verse 15. It says, Although you have been forsaken and hated, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. It goes on, Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now according to the top 50 persecuted countries for Christians, the statistic says that 11 Christians die every day by choosing Jesus. 11. In these certain countries, Christians are considered hostile elements to be eradicated at all costs. Now our physical eyes, when we look into our geography and our history, we will find countless Christians seemingly forsaken and hated with no one to cover them and protect them. But look with our spiritual eyes, says Isaiah, and you will see a very different picture inside God's city. The Lord will be its Savior, its Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, The city, in this city, there will be no death. You will not be forsaken like abandoned children. When the king returns, you will be his pride. You will drink the milk of nations like royalty. His arrival will bring a complete transformation. And only the best, only the best will be brought in to upgrade everything that we know. You'll not be bronze, but gold. You'll not be iron, but silver, and it goes on. And because God is there, so will peace and well-being fill that city. There'll be no violence there, no ruins, no destruction. Salvation will be your wall. Praises will be your gates. And imagine verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day nor the brightness of the moonshine on you, 
For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Now, while darkness may hover our world and our present lives, while we may need to struggle to rise and shine for the gospel, while we have to keep cleaning our spiritual eyes so that we can keep looking into our spiritual future, while sorrows may still pierce us, physical death stands as a war in our journey of travelator in this life. While we feel cold at times, even when the sun's ray or moonlight shines on you. But here's the promise. Here's the promise. When the king finally comes and dwells in his city and with his people, all our hope will be fulfilled and it will be perfected. All the pains will be removed into oblivion. On that day, we will feel the warmth and the comfort and the joy, not from the physical sun, but from the glorious God. On that day, we will be dwelling with God who dwells with His people. And verse 20, look at it. Your sun, it will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. And your days of sorrow will end. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 implies right for us that we do have days of sorrow today. But it will expire. Indeed, how can sorrows and pain and death exist on a day when our glorious King sits on His throne? In the celestial city of Zion, neither will the imperfections of life nor our sinful desires and scars remain. You know, our sins and our scars, they'll be like scales that falls off. Our unrighteousness will fall off. And what is left for us in verse 21 will be righteousness. Now on that day, yours and mine, if that is your longing, the day where you long for a perfection and righteousness, it will become a reality. They will come, if that's what you're hoping for, where your identity and your life is totally so congruent, there's no gap in between. There's no gap between who you are and how you live. That is the day when God dwells with His people, when His people are called righteous. In verse 31, they will possess or perhaps we will possess the land of Zion forever. Because God who has taken the greatest care to mold our faith today and to shape our hope for Him, day after day He does it right now, tomorrow, yesterday, it will fully display us on that day as His splendor. We are meant to display His perfection and perfect love and greatness of who He is. We are meant to display that and He will make that happen. Our faith will so transform us and perfect it that we will be who we are. Oh dear brothers and sisters, how beautiful that day will be. I hope you are waiting for that day with your spiritual eyes. I hope that I am as well in this whole life. Now listen to how Apostle John described the city of the last uh, of Zion, the last two chapters of the Bible. You read it. Let me read that for us one last time. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
Nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, friends, when we come to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, it makes one point clear as it describes that celestial city of Zion. It says, to enter that city and dwell with God, our names must be written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is there, we can rejoice. But if you have never heard how to have your name there, then let me explain it for us. The Bible tells us that for our names to be written in the book of life, we need to come and look into the light of God, who is His own Son, Jesus Christ. We need to turn away from our rebellion of darkness and to look and trust in the light of Jesus, to know and believe that He died for sins, that we can cry out for my sin as well. And He rose from the dead to be our King, so that on that day when we die, we know that we'll, be have, we'll have one day where we will rise because our king rise and so will his people. If we believe in Jesus and trusted in him as our lamb, he writes our name in that book of life. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, then our role is to hold on to our hope in that glorious future to be with him. Someone might ask, when will this actually happen? When will Isaiah 60 verse 10 to 22 actually happen? And Isaiah answers that in his closing words in verse 22. God says, I am the Lord. In his time, I will do this swiftly. Now I was thinking how to give a better illustration in our modern days. And I can't think of any others but Marvel's adventures. Know that this purple creature, for those who didn't watch, who is called Thanos, he has this metal gauntlet or metal glove with powerful stones. What he can do is, if he flips and snaps his finger, the universe is transformed to the way that he sees as perfection, and imperfections gets taken away. Well, if you are a Marvel fan, you know exactly what it is. If you are not, don't worry, just think of that powerful um, purple creature who can do that. That Thanos is just a comical illustration, totally incomparable to our glorious God who has true power in him. When will that happen? Well, Peter, our apostle, says this in his second letter. He says, God is not slow in coming. Rather, he's patient so that we can still repent. But when God finally chooses to snap his finger, it will happen swiftly and there's no time for a second chance. Remember how we started our journey today? I shared an experience years ago of how my twins, they cried like sirens in this dark, cold Australian winter night. I didn't want to get up from the blanket, taking the whole night to just warm it. But eventually, did I rise and shine? Of course I did. Day after day, or at least most days. Because that's what I signed up for when I became a father. I'll wake up with my sleepy eyes, but with my smile smiling at my world, who are jumping in their baby cots, making all kinds of stunts and noises. 
and it helped that my parenting partner, my wife, is in this together. We both knew, as we were shivering, that the sunlight will shine and seep into our house soon and warm up the cold bodies. And the sun never fails. Dear brothers and sisters, even if our world is less than enthusiastic for Jesus, and we are tempted to hide under our blankets of spiritual sluggishness or slumber and despair, let us take heed Isaiah's cry. Let us take heed and not remain under. Let us rise and shine because that's what we have signed up for as Christians. We don't use our own light, but we drink in the depth and the love and the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that helps us to shine a hope that darkness in this world cannot produce and they need to see it. Let us rise and shine. Let us look on with certainty as they look up and see God's kingdom is gathering and it will soon become the perfect city when our God dwells with us. Will we heed the cry of Isaiah, whatever circumstances you may be in today? We pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, help us who are Christians to rise and reflect the gospel light of Jesus in this world and each step of our Christian life. We are weak, at times sluggish, often discouraged, but we know the gospel is powerful. So fill us and strengthen us with the power of your gospel Help us individually and as a local church to look up and see that your spirit has been at work relentlessly for the last 2,000 years, raising the spiritual dead to life, robbing hell for heaven, and grant us clarity in our spiritual eyes today to see the coming kingdom and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that our hope will strengthen our faith and our hands. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.